You're listening to the Super Talk podcast, produced by the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, shaping profit to member super. Hello and welcome to Super Talk. My name is Gary West and I'm the Senior Manager, Media and Communications with AIST. Today we'll be looking at inflation and other issues of interest to bond investors. Joining me is Steve Major, Global Head of Fixed Income Research at HSBC. Among the other topics you'll be hearing about today are policy surprises, investment assumptions, the Reserve Bank of Australia, and the role of bonds in a portfolio. Steve, thanks for joining me today. The key issue of bond investors, in fact all investors, has been inflation. When will the Federal Reserve and other central banks be comfortable that policy is sufficiently restrictive so that the level inflation will return to target? Thanks, Gary. It's a highly topical question, and I think it um, has been the main focus for at least one year, maybe going on 18 months, because the the policy response to the pandemic and reopening uh, of various economies has created a combination of factors that have pushed inflation through to levels that that most of us have never seen, actually, in our lifetimes. So uh, central banks have been racing to catch up. Many of them had frameworks that uh, uh, resulted in them uh, having a delayed response. I'm thinking here about flexible average inflation targeting in the US and the uh, yield curve control in, in Australia, for example. So I think that it, it has been a key focus, uh, but in fact, we could be speaking at a very interesting point because there's also the challenge of financial conditions and many of you will all be following the news around certain banks around the world that have had some stress recently. And of course, whilst the role of the central bank is inflation targeting, and in some cases, it's also about employment and growth, as central banks also have uh, a mandate on financial stability. They have to protect the real economy if events in the banking system, for example, spill over and start to affect how households behave and their future expectations. So, So it's true, it has all been about inflation, but interestingly, we could be on a transition point. There seems to have been quite a few big policy surprises and shocks of late. Market participants will know how these have added to volatility. Examples would be the Bank of Japan's policy normalisation, the UK's temporary departure from fiscal discipline last September, and China's reopening from the pandemic. How have bond investors been managing these challenges? Those are three very good examples of uh, policy surprises. So you can think back to September, October last year, and the UK was was really carrying out a sort of fiscal experiment, and markets didn't like it. So, so bond yields responded. They didn't they didn't like the fiscal outlook. They didn't trust the government, and, and that's what happened. It was quickly reversed, but that volatility shock uh, has an impact on investors because they want compensation for volatility and uncertainty, and that compensation comes through in the form of higher yields, wider spreads. You mentioned Bank of Japan and the reopening of China. They're both in the rearview mirror. We're currently experiencing a bit of a volatility shock 
from the banking system. So again, it's a, it's it's important for investors to consider the current news and how that might affect their investments, but also what it what it means for the future. And and that's a real challenge because if you think that the policy rate today could be moving up or down because of something that's happened yesterday. That's one thing. But you've also got to think with bonds about what it means for that policy rate in five years' time or in 10 years' time. And and that's a real challenge for investors. They have to have uh, two hats on, one for the current news flow, a sort of recency bias, and another one which is more considered looking through into the longer-term structural and secular trends. Is it possible that there's a major regime shift going on? Has the world changed dramatically since before the pandemic such that we can no longer invest under the same assumptions as before? This is essentially the big debate in bond markets. And I think it spills into equities and real estate alternatives as well. Um, If there is a regime shift, you don't really know about it till afterwards and you know a regime shift has to be somewhat permanent it involves a large change in the assumptions um i think that's a pretty good definition of what a regime shift means um our minds are not very good at doing that because all of us are working in a current regime at this point our brain doesn't know whether it's moved into a different regime until afterwards so so for bond investors the debate is really the current volatility that we just discussed, which comes from policy surprises, that adds to risk premium. It distorts the bond yields, mainly upwards, by the way. Uh, is that permanent or is it really something that's temporary and will go away? If it's permanent, then that maybe there is a shift of regime. And here I'm thinking about inflation targeting regimes or you know whether the world has changed because of the pandemic. So a simple way of understanding this is thinking pre, pre-pandemic, things were relatively calm. Believe it or not, we didn't know it at the time, but that was the world we were in. Post-pandemic, we have challenges around globalization. Um, that's looking very different. Some people talk of it in terms of reversal which I think is a bit strong, frankly. There's also demographic trends. Think about in China, the aging population, shrinking population, even. It looks a bit like Japan in some regards. Look at the debt overhangs. These these are very long-term structural forces. Now, if they start to change because of something, then we have to think about a different model for valuing securities. Uh, I suspect that things are not that different and that much of what we're seeing is volatility. I could be wrong, or there could be a combination of the two. The volatility could be just signaling there might be a change. But anyway, uh, I, I think that's the essence of, of the, the debate today. Specifically uh, for Australia and the Reserve Bank's responses, is there any evidence of a departure from the path taken by other major central banks? And what does this mean for investors? Do you know, historically, for what it's worth, Australia and New Zealand have, have often uh, led the rate cycles. Uh, that could be a question of geography um, and the different nature of the economies. I, I think, look, Australia has been a large open economy, very sensitive to global trade in recent years. Uh, China has been very important. Uh, so 
also Australia is in a certain group of countries that have uh, a high proportion of mortgages that are variable rate. So it therefore becomes much more sensitive to what the central bank does. Those are just two quick reasons off the top of my head. Uh, you could also think about the, the the large pensions industry as well as being another special feature. So I, I think that that um, it is possible that on this occasion, Australia could be slightly ahead of other central banks in the cycle because of that sensitivity to the global economy. And when you when you see some of the statements coming out recently, and I don't want to just focus on what's happened in the last few weeks, but it is quite interesting that maybe Australia was tipping towards a more dovish path on policy rates than the US Fed. That was certainly the case a few weeks ago. Uh, so I, I think, if anything, Australia can often be at the front of the of the pack, if you like, in a kind of peloton of central banks. Um, for, for investors, Globally, it means you can't ignore what's happening in Australia. And uh, any fixed income specialist who, who's listening to this will know that that many of them, many traders will be looking at what's happening in the forwards. The forwards are an estimate of where uh, yields and policy rates will be in the future. Everyone's looking at Australia to get to try and get a lead on what might be happening in the US even. So Yes, it's important. And I think that if you took a view, a directional view on rates, for example, sometimes you might be better off expressing it in a market like Australia than, than elsewhere. So that's why it matters to investors, uh, because it can be a lead. How would you consider bonds in the context of a global portfolio that can invest across the asset classes? Uh, a common question is about the role of the 60-40 portfolio, for example. In fact, last year was the year when the 60-40 portfolio didn't do very well. One of the worst ever, I think. It also was a year when bonds performed the worst for about 100 years. I've only got records going back 40 to 50, but I'm reliably told uh, the worst in 100 years in terms of total return. 60-40 didn't do very well last year. So this is 60% in equities, 40% in bonds. I'm talking in terms of total return, what you're left with after after you've invested. Um, so 60-40 actually might be a bit simplistic because many investors would include alternatives, for example. So, so they might have private equity or real estate, inflation-linked bonds, commodities, et cetera hedge funds even inside their portfolio but if we go on the basic assumption of 60 40 it didn't do very well last year um, because everything became positively correlated everything was responding to the reopening and the catch-up uh, by central banks from the the high inflation we were talking about at the beginning so the sort of belated move in policy meant everything went to a high positive correlation. Everything went down in price together. Um, I think the setup is quite good for bonds now, because if I look at the relative performance, not the fact that they both did badly in absolute terms, if I look at the relative performance, uh, bonds look, uh, dare I say it, uh, cheap or cheaper. And think about it 
at the index level, if you could get a yield of 5% to 7% in investment grade corporates, that's similar or even better than you can get on equities on a risk-adjusted basis, you should be looking at the bonds. So I, I do think we came into 2023 with bonds in a relatively good place. That view held well through January. It was challenged in February. We'll see how we do in March. But at the moment, uh, government bonds certainly are doing okay in March. Just one final question I might add, and there's, was there, is there anything you particularly wanted to add and maybe in respect of what we've seen in terms of the um, the market shocks recently when previously inflation had been um, what markets were looking, was there anything else you wanted to um, add there, Steve? Yeah, so central banks will say they've got the tools to deal with the two separate problems. So interest rates go up to deal with the inflation and They've got uh, special liquidity uh, operations they can use to help banks out that are that are under stress. Now we know that in the U.S. it started in a in a small bank. In Europe right now, there's concerns about a bigger one, and who knows where we'll be next week. I mean, in the space of the last five days, five trading days, some of the things have happened have been quite remarkable um so they, they try and compartmentalize and separate the two uh, policy tools and response to the challenges the, the trouble is they are intermingled and as much as central banks might try and communicate differently if you get a shock in the banking system that affects confidence in the household and corporate sector then you're going to impact retail sales and real GDP, uh, f uh, f future purchases because of people's confidence. If you like, if people become more risk averse, they'll spend less. So the two are interconnected, which is why a speedy policy response is needed. But but I do think uh, uh, it's important that we, that we, we balance the challenges to dealing with inflation to the uh, threats to the stability of the financial system. That's all for this episode of Super Talk. Thanks to Steve Major, Global Head of Fixed Income Research at HSBC. For more episodes of Super Talk and for more information on the work of the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, visit our website at aist.asn.au and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Thank you.